In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. On election night, I chose to stay away from the internet and television because I was too anxious about the results. Instead, I watched a movie, a DVD from the library that was already overdue, so I figured I'd better watch that one first. Children of Men, from 2006, is a dystopian film that takes place in England in 2027 when women's childbearing options are a matter of grave concern. Armed militias and zealots are fighting in public spaces, and illegal immigrants are vilified, rounded up, and put into cages. Wow, I thought, nothing like science fiction to take your mind off reality. Election night anxiety turned into election week dread as ballot counts dragged on. Who would be our next president? What kind of fallout would there be afterwards? And how might life be different in 2021? Only one of those questions has been decisively answered. Not to the president's satisfaction, of course. Over 74 million people cast their ballot for Biden, the most in American history. At the same time, over 70 million voted for Trump, the second most in history. And so, while many joyfully honked their horns yesterday and will continue to breathe a sigh of relief today, the reality of our nation's bifurcated soul looms uneasily over the celebrations. Soon after I was hired here in 2017, a few vestry and search committee members let me know in hushed tones that what gave me an edge over the other candidates for rector was the post-election sermon I preached at St. Luke's Long Beach in 2016. I'll admit it was pretty good. <laughs> Deftly crafted and well delivered. The main message back then was, in this church of St. Luke's, we have to stick together, regardless of how we voted. Because if we can't get along in here, it'll never happen out there. I soon came to realize in these whispered conversations with the leaders of this St. Luke's that it was necessary to strike a conciliatory tone for the sake of unity, that apparently there were both Republicans and Democrats here for whom too much politics from the pulpit would bring discomfort and possibly division. So I complied, though some of you might disagree with that and point to many examples as proof. But I complied. And for the most part, I tried to keep my eye on what was best for the parish as a whole. And of course, my people-pleasing nature was put to good use. So 
I'll have to beg your forbearance for just one paragraph of one sermon to let me say the following. It's been difficult to be so offended at the behavior of our president and his partners in crime for the past four years and keep my mouth shut for the sake of not offending a few of you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would not be proud. So I hope you'll forgive me if I say quite openly just this one time, now that it's almost over, what a nightmare this presidency has been for me and for so many. I will never forget the night after the election, holding a vigil for parishioners in Long Beach who were devastated by the outcome and watching this amazing woman, middle-aged, whip-smart, sarcastic, scream out words of rage at the top of her lungs in the nave of the church. It was literally spine-tingling. And I remember how scared some of our undocumented parishioners were, afraid to come to church because they'd heard that some people had been nabbed outside of houses of worship and deported. My associate rector back then, Mother Nancy, a DACA recipient who crossed the border at eight years old with her family, lived in fear that her whole life and all she had worked for could be upended in a second. And on and on and on. You don't need me to give more examples like a ticker tape going across the screen. We have lived through the same four years. Though clearly, 70 million of us had a very different experience than 74 million others did. Now here we are, four years later, and the United States is anything but. In our first reading, Joshua warns the people, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the Lord God or the gods of your ancestors and neighbors. They reply, we choose God. But he quickly counters with, no, you can't do it. He is a jealous God and will not forgive your transgressions. And if you stray from him, he will consume you even after having done you good. So I mean it. Choose now whom you will serve. They have to insist again that it's God they will serve before he'll believe them. Choose this day whom you will serve. Jesus said, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Will you choose to serve Christ? If so, then what you do and how you treat the least among us will prove your loyalty. And here I can honestly say that helping those in need does not break down neatly into Democrat and Republican. We are bipartisan in our charity, or lack thereof. But charity is one thing, justice another. The least of these lack decent health insurance. They lack a living wage, a home. They lack safety for their children when they step out the door in black skin. 
They lack hope so that they turn to opioid drugs for solace. Jesus is everywhere out there in the least of these, though, honestly, they are easier to miss here in Los Gatos. And Jesus doesn't want to hear your yes, but anymore. Choose now whom you will serve. When the dust settles after this election, we will have another choice before us. Will we choose the God of reconciliation, whose unconditional love demands that we see each other as beloved children of God no matter what? Or will we dig our heels in and set our hearts on the gods of division and anger, revenge and gloating? For me, this one's a harder choice. While I do long for unity for our country, I don't trust the other side much anymore. Four years of nightmare does not easily become dreaming together for the future, frankly. But this is the choice before us now, to continue the hate and one-upsmanship or to struggle towards reconciliation. As you may know, the Sacrament of Reconciliation, page 447 in your Book of Common Prayer, first requires an admission of sin and a desire for repentance. Can we do that? Can we do without that and still be reconciled? I don't know. But another admonition from Jesus comes to mind. Be wise as serpents, and innocent as doves. Speaking of which, I would like to share with you some words from the Reverend Anna Olson, who preached here for us in August. She doesn't have a pulpit right now because her work is with Christosal, a nonprofit organization. But she had this to say to those of us who do preach today. She said, You may be feeling a strong push from outside yourself or even a pull from inside your own faith to hide your personal happiness and say something about unity and reconciliation. If unity means a shared commitment to building a just country and world where every human person has access to hope, and possibility and safety for themselves and the people they love, I'm all in. If unity means agreeing to disagree about whether the hateful words and abusive actions, corruption and lies of the outgoing administration are in any way acceptable, if it means making space for bigotry at the expense of people who have suffered and had their full humanity denied, I'm out. For the love of God, let's be very clear what we mean by unity and reconciliation. There is very little in our collective history to give us the benefit of the doubt if we leave anything to the imagination. And let's be very clear as preachers that if we have any moral authority at all, 
It does not apply to handing out mandates on forgiveness and reconciliation to people who have suffered more or in different ways than we have. So I don't yet have clarity on what unity and reconciliation will look like in order for justice to be served. But like the five wise bridesmaids in today's parable, my lamp is full. It is full of the oil of sweat from those who have fought tirelessly to restore and maintain democracy in this country, in the streets and at polling stations, who did not give in to despair as I sometimes have. My lamp is full of the tears of mothers who have lost their sons to racist violence. My lamp is full of the cries of children yanked from their parents and thrown into cages. My lamp is full with the perspiration shed every time I've had to step into this pulpit and offer you a word of consolation that may also challenge but not too much. And yes, my lamp is even full of the frustrated tears of those who have lost their president this weekend. This is the fuel by which I hope to guide myself and maybe others to the feast that can await us at our journey's destination. Your lamps may be fueled differently, but God calls us all in this time of change to help light the way, to leave no one behind in the dark, to travel together to the feast. If we cannot do that, the banquet hall will only ever be half full. We are all beloved children of God, each other's brother and sister, no matter what, we belong to each other. May the coming days be ones of true reconciliation and genuine hope. I leave you with a poem. The Real Work by Wendell Berry. It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we have come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. As tough as it may be in the days and months to come, it's time to sing together once more.